0: Welcome to Day Two Cloud. And in today's sponsored episode, Strong DM is back. And in case you've forgotten, Strong DM bills themselves as the infrastructure access platform, a tool that gives your ops folks secure access they need to the infrastructure they manage no matter where they are and all without a VPN. You can get as granular with the access as you like and everything can be logged. Listen to Day Two Cloud episodes 134 and 152 if you want a Strong DM refresher. On today's episode, we're talking once again with Britt Crawford, Director of Product at StrongDM. Britt's gonna talk Ned and me through the idea of zero standing privilege. Zero standing privilege is an evolution of credentials management. Let's say you start with the simplest, always on usernames and passwords, right? We've all done that. You move from there to some sort of privileged access that provides tighter controls. And then you get to just in time accounts where credentials don't live forever. And well, well, what's beyond that? zero standing privilege. And I'm going to let Britt explain the big ideas here. And then Ned and I are going to do our usual job of teasing out the nerdy details. Britt, welcome back to Day 2 Cloud. And, uh, and, and to set this discussion up, Britt, I think you got to walk us through the, the evolution of the security model that I was hinting at there, You know, starting with the basics of usernames and passwords. So, so walk us through this evolution.
1: Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So at StrongDM, we've kind of taken some of the best practice around security and sort of the evolution of that thinking and solidified it into what we call uh, a secure access maturity model. And this model kind of, we hope will serve as a guide for how do you evolve your security practice, right? And so if you think of the basic thing, oh, I need security, I'm going to put a username and password on my database, right? And then I'm going to start thinking about network security. I'm going to say, oh, well, only, only things from the secure network should be allowed to access the database. This is sort of like the very low level. But when you're talking about the modern cloud-based world, the first step is actually really realizing that a lot of that old uh, perimeter security doesn't apply. So you've got to start thinking about identity, human identity, machine identity. Well, well,
0: I mean, it applies, Brett. It's the one small piece of a way bigger puzzle these days.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's that's a better way of putting it. It it (laughs) applies and it is necessary, but it is very insufficient. Yeah, for sure. So you've got to start thinking about identity and how do I verify identity? How do I verify that this machine is supposed to be on this network? How do I verify that this machine is supposed to be on this network and able to talk to this database with a right privilege? Uh, And so that's sort of level one in our framework, which is identity-based access. Are you are you applying identity in every step of your security model? The second level we, we've got is. Before you proven- go to the
0: second step, um, you, you were hinting yeah. at zero trust kind of stuff. It sounds like part of what zero trust is all about. Is that a fair comparison to make?
1: That is a fair comparison to make. Um, so, yes, there is no, you know, this is very much back to the Beyond Core principles uh, in that lovely Google White paper where there is no place that you can get to within a system or a network that grants trust in and of itself. Hmm. Right? You are you are doing capability enforcement at each point in your security model. So you're saying not only is this who I think it is, but do they have the rights to do the thing that they're asking to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay, so so before I interrupted you, you were getting to the the second step there from the from the basics, the lower hanging fruit.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the basics is, you know, you've you've deployed SSO You've got uh, identity verification at each of your systems. The next step is, okay, you've got some actually very juicy targets that are a little different than your uh, normal accounts. And this is where we get into privileged access. And there's an entire industry, privileged access management. And why does this exist as a separate thing from security? And it is basically kind of the fundamental theorem of security. These are your most valuable assets.
2: And so you need to defend them harder because people are going to attack them harder. Right. So, you know, people are after, say, my domain admin credentials. If I'm thinking in more traditional sense of, uh, you know, an Active Directory, I really shouldn't be using those domain admin credentials as my daily driver credentials on my on my laptop because that's just a terrible idea. Is that something that would be considered a privileged access account? Yes,
1: absolutely. A domain admin credential a database credential, anything that confers elevated rights, uh, and that could be used to either exfiltrate data, establish a backdoor, and and permanent access to something, anything like that. And so you you hinted at uh, sort of the the first level of Pam practice too, which is like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be using that as my daily drive credential, and in fact, probably. You shouldn't be using, you shouldn't be having that credential in your possession all the time. You should need to maybe check it out of a vault
2: hmm.
1: and use it for the duration of your administrative session and then check it back in. And this is this is sort of where Pam came from. And, uh, but there is kind of... Uh, a further evolution on that, because even if you think about checking credential out of a vault, so you've got HashiCorp Vault, you've got CyberArk, you've got something like that, and you say like, give me the admin credential for the SQL Server database host, right? You check it out, you enter it in, you put it back in, but why have I got that credential on your machine in the first place?
2: Right, right, because if my machine gets compromised in any way, and there's a trace of that credential. Or if my machine was already compromised and I check that credential out, boom, someone's got that credential and they can just start using it. And I might that's, not be aware of that for a while.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. If uh, if your machine was already compromised, it's really the nightmare scenario. Somebody you've got some sort of malware sitting on there that's just waiting and it looks for that session and snipes the password and sends it off. And, Mm. you know, we can we can thank cryptocurrency for this, Uh, like attackers have gotten much better at exploiting much smaller access windows because of cryptocurrency accounts. Mm. Everyone has MFA, you've got to snipe that MFA code so that you can get in.
2: Right. It it reminds me of uh, Microsoft had this best practice they were pushing for a while where you'd have a privileged access workstation. And you would only do these privileged activities from that workstation. But then that made that workstation a really juicy target because it mm-hmm. had all of the credentials on it. Right?
1: Yeah. And that um, often what you'll see is a combination of that pattern where you have a vault and then you have a, a privileged access workstation, which is usually a virtual desktop instance in the cloud. And you have to go to that so that you have an extra cutout between the end user machine and the privileged machine. They don't connect directly.
2: Um,
0: kind of related, so, I, I definitely don't have a code running Python scripts with access tokens embedded in environment variables. That's certainly not a thing I've done at all, nope.
1: No, no, not at all. <laughs> you certainly um, wouldn't even deploy that into your cloud instance, right? Obviously like, not. I definitely didn't do that, no. No, and there, there are actually, Better ways to do that now with parameter store, but you still have that credential floating out there. Uh, and if somebody gets into that box, they can pull it right out of memory and and use it. And so this is actually uh, something we've invested a lot in at StrongDM is we remove every single credential from the end user box. And often, even in the case of that cloud instance, from the box that's running that Python script. Hmm. and How we do this is by uh, we have our own secrets vault, but we also integrate with all of the major secrets vaults, AWS uh, secrets manager, um, HashiCorp vault, all of those guys. And uh, StrongDM speaks directly to the vault and uh, injects the credential on the wire. So you as an end user never see it. And not only that, only the last mile node in the strong DM network ever has access to the credential.
2: Gotcha. So if I from my desktop, I'm requesting access to a thing that goes through the strong DM network of nodes, the mesh of nodes. And yes. node that is closest to the resource I'm trying to access, that's the one that actually pulls the credential and uses it on my behalf. But I never see it backwards all the way through that mesh to my desktop.
1: That's correct. You never see it. Uh, it's never stored on that node. It's resident in memory for the moment that it takes to inject it on the wire, and then it's thrown away.
0: Hmm. So, so we haven't arrived at zero standing privilege, though, have we? We're are we still in the middle of the security model evolution, Brett?
1: Yes, we're still at the at the privileged access level. Right. So after okay. that, there's two more. There's just in time access and zero standing privilege, and they're really similar. Um, so just in time access is actually if 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 your organization gets to this level, you're you're doing pretty good. And this is, you take away most access, and especially privileged access, and you have an easy way to grant it on demand and for a limited time. And yeah, so there's a life cycle
0: of... management for that credential. It's very brief. You need it, um, that access is granted, and then you use it, and then that access is removed once again.
1: Yes, exactly. So uh, these are database administration example. You want to administer the SQL server, you request access uh, and you provide a reason. That's then sent uh, over to Ned. Ned looks at the reason and says, okay, this is good. I'm going to give you access for two hours. You're approved. That whole um, sequence is audited and then you're granted access. You go in, you do your work, you relinquish it. And so obviously this, the thing, the reason this wasn't a more common practice is that's a lot of coordination of systems. Used to be a lot harder, takes a lot of work to set up. And so that's something at StrongDM that we've invested in is making that very simple. So we have, um, for instance, a a Slack bot that you can run with StrongDM that you can set up what uh, someone's allowed to uh, request access to, and then under what conditions is that access granted. If it's a low-level environment, you can say, oh, just every time they request it, give them an hour automatically, but audit that request so that I know what's happening. That and is if it's the a high-level bot, environment. You,
0: you can tell the Slack bot what policy you want it to apply to incoming requests, or the Slack bot's just a proxy that, you know, dumps the request into a channel and a human has to respond.
2: You
1: can tell it what policy you want to apply. Gotcha. So okay. you can encode your approval policy. Okay. Okay. Um, and so that's just-in-time access. And the zero-standing privilege sounds a lot like that. The difference is that with just-in-time access, you're relying on policies and credentials that have been established beforehand. And you're, you're granting access, whereas with zero-standing privilege, you are actually in the moment of the request, creating the policy or the access. And then when the session is done, revoking that access. So imagine if you had no account on the machine, you were, you want to SSH in. Says so okay, I've provisioned a user, and then when your SSH session is done, we deprovision the user.
0: So that implies if I don't have a exi- pre-existing policy that tells me how I would govern a particular request, I'm making it up as I go. That the policy applied to a request will change depending on the context of that request.
1: No, I mean, you're. so you do have to consider what sorts of things can be requested, under what conditions can they be approved, what level of access you're going to grant. You have to think about this stuff ahead of time. And so I'm sorry, I'm using policy. Policy is one of those overloaded words that we get a lot where I'm thinking (laughs) about actual things like I am policy versus company policy about who should have access to the database.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: Uh, yeah, so there's the actual security policy implementation, and then there's the
2: the company level who should have access to what policy. Um, okay, so I, I'm trying to I'm struggling a little bit with the differentiation between zero standing privileges and just in time access. So is the idea in just in time that there's an account that already exists on the de- on the remote system? I'm just generating credentials based off of that account and zero standing doesn't have that. Is that, is that the main difference between the two levels?
1: Yes. You're, you're effectively provisioning and deprovisioning the entire, the access rights in the moment with zero standing. And it's, you know, it's basically the philosophy that like no access is safer than no access, right? You can't get to anything by default then that's your safest posture. And so it, it does require a lot of coordination and automation to say, oh, in this moment, I can create an IAM policy or uh, maybe I have a pre-existing role and I'm going to now attach the right to assign that role to a particular user.
2: Gotcha. Okay. And I th- what's really interesting to me about that is each new... Uh, credential and and account and everything that's generated dynamically, that's a single thing that you can audit against. So if I want to know not only what you did, but what you did at this specific time when you requested this credential, I have a whole through line for that. Mm -hmm. And I can really see what you did with that credential and track it back. And then also see if somebody tried to use that credential later. Yes.
1: And when they use it later, it should generate a
2: failure event the thing you can then investigate right so if i'm worried that your box is comp well i know what your your credentials aren't supposed to hit your box but if i'm worried that a box is compromised somewhere mm-hmm. and i'm looking for a credential replay that's something that i can audit for and if it happens within you know like 10 minutes of the access being revoked okay there's definitely something going on there's there's a bot or something somewhere that tells mm-hmm. me i've got a compromised uh system that i have to take care of Yeah.
1: Yes. I mean, most likely it's a, somebody wrote a script and they tried to reuse the credential, but.
2: <laughs> well, they shouldn't do that either. <laughs> no.
0: So Brit, who, who is the company that wants to take advantage of a security scheme like this? Cause it feels, it feels heavy. So is this like, I'm a company with, you know, I really care about uh, risk and I've got to mitigate all the risk possible. And so I'm going to go this route or, or is it more
1: for everybody? I think it's more for everybody as strongium allows you to better take advantage of this. And as, as StrongDM evolves and tools evolve, I think this is going to become the strategy for everyone because there's the problem of not just I'm very risk averse or I have very valuable targets to go after. There's also the problem of I am a very large company and I have a giant AWS account with thousands of people using it. How do I manage that? How do I possibly know what's going on in that account if I'm trying to set up a, a fabric of standing permissions, right? How can I know how all these IM policies interact? How can I know? And there, there are some tools that will help you analyze that. But ultimately, it's a, there's a human understanding problem of not being able to say what your security posture is. How effectively am I defending this? I don't know because there are 47 policies. They all interact and I can't figure out what the actual end result of whether this should be approved or not.
0: Well, so so you got to explain how strong DM is going to make this easier for him, because the reason a lot of times these more complex schemes go is exactly what you were saying. The policy matrix is so complicated, trying to get people in the right groups and give them the right thing, it's just, it's too much trouble. And you end up over-permitting, giving people more than they really need, just so that they get out of your face and can get their job done. So how, this sounds even more complex than that, what you're describing, but you're telling me it's
1: easier. I am telling you it's easier because uh, what Stronium does is we stitch together a lot of pieces of that matrix. And also, we extend the capability to easily uh, grant and revoke time-based access to systems that, where it would be difficult, like a Redis cluster or a database or something that is not already integrated with a modern security framework. Um, So we provide a single point of enforcement, a single place to view what all that access is, and uh, a simple way of automating both the distribution of access, so the the grant of that zero-standing privilege, but then also the provisioning of the credential. Using that vault integration, we can dynamically provision that credential and revoke it.
2: So with all of these additional protections in place i mean you, you kind of mentioned before attackers are looking for just the, the smallest mm. little thing that they can get they can get in from how would an attacker look at zero standing privileges and still see a way to infiltrate
1: that's a really good question um, i mean the obvious and kind of cheating answer is social engineering mm. but It's 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 a trade off, right, Britt? Because on the one hand, yes.
0: we've cut off. There is no standing permission that can be attempted to be compromised. There, that that doesn't exist. Now you're coming mm-hmm. hat in hand every time you want to access a resource to have the permission, the policy built for you, and that access granted to you, so you can go manage the thing. So that becomes a much more difficult target to attack. So in my mind, if I'm the attacker, I'm going to I guess I'm looking at the strong DM tool and going, that's the thing I want to attack in some way. Is that right?
1: You could try to attack the strong DM tool. Um, You could go directly at it. An end user workstation might be easier uh, to try to get to uh, Mm -hmm. and try to compromise an end user. You might do something exotic like fly a drone with a Wi-Fi bridge up next to somebody's office. Um, Mm -hmm. That happened at a big financial firm. Uh, They blew a drone next to the office window with a Wi Fi pineapple, hacked the corporate Wi Fi, hacked uh, an end user workstation, and then got in to steal the, fina- the financial data.
0: That's even better than a Mr. Robot plot. Outstanding! It, I love it. Yeah.
1: It's really good, and it really happened. Um, I'm trying to remember the name who it was, they. Did, it was, I a, uh, a read it in Krebs on security and it was not, they didn't disclose the name of Zoom. Mm. It was a major fortune 100 financial firm.
2: That's a little scary. Mm-hmm. A question that I we always- should
1: ch- We should check the details on that one. If I need to go back and say like, who it was, re-record who it was. Cause I'm, I'm pulling that one out of memory. The Wi-Fi pineapple attack is real, but I don't remember who it was. It was a big, big like retail trading.
2: I like it being mysterious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A question that I always think of when it comes to setting up this sort of environment is we like the idea of zero trust and Mm -hmm. confirming and authenticating through all the steps. But there needs to be a system that is able to provision these credentials. And that Mm -hmm. system needs to have a credential of its own to do the provisioning of the credentials, which gets Mm -hmm. back to like this idea of secret zero so, how does that how do you secure that system that's doing the provisioning of credentials?
1: so there are um there are a couple of approaches that you can do that kind of like uh, sidestep the secret zero problem. So if you think about it as an administrative privilege and it's doing rights to the policy layer uh, and things like that um that becomes a very valuable secret to steal, and that's a difficult approach. But if instead you you do a little uh, jujitsu and use, say, the cloud uh, providers' role assumption model or uh, authentication model, and say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a gap in here and I'm gonna say, I authenticate to my SSO, and I using a tool like StrongDM, I then access the cloud, and then the component of StrongDM that's running inside my account. That is the thing that actually has access to do uh, account provisioning. And, it, and it's done by, say, IAM policy. Um, and so um, I don't have a tool that's going in there and provisioning and deprovisioning access. What I have is I have a tool that's allowed to, I have a piece of software that's sitting in there. It's identified by the cloud provider itself, and it's allowed to assume different privilege roles.
0: All right, Britt, so let's say we figured out the zero, secret zero problem one way or the other. Um, we, we've got, so we've got a robust, uh, secure infrastructure a platform upon which we can now begin handing out our credentials using this zero-standing privilege model. All right, there's a human involved here at some point. So, so walk me through how to set up access to a resource we want to manage using zero-standing privilege.
1: It's really not that different than... Um, setting it up through any other access model, it's the additional layer is actually defining who should be able to request access and what level of privilege should they get. Everything else is mostly going to be the same. You're going to register the resource, say here's what it is, here's how we provide access, um, and then you're going to say either I'm using something like um, like Vault to issue dynamic credentials. Um, so you would then that would dynamically provision and deprovision account. Or I'm using something like AWS IAM to, to uh do role assumption and have a similar interaction. But the real new layer is should Ethan be allowed to request um re- write access to that instance? And under what conditions should that be approved? And so that is where you have to put some thought in.
0: And the conditions can be uh Complex. It it could include security posture of the endpoint, I think, right? It could.
1: um, And generally, so again, you run into a a complexity problem where it's like, how do I understand what my security posture actually is, right? How do I understand what my policy is? And so often I think you want to have handled that security posture um, beforehand, but for very, where you say like, oh, you can't even authenticate unless you are on a known device with the hardware token that was issued to you by corporate IT, right? Um, in some cases though, you are want, going to want to be able to uh, define those sorts of conditional access rules. I think that's, that's really the holy grail and there are a lot of people trying to implement that, but there's not um, sort of one tool that's going to let you do that throughout your whole infrastructure yet. Um, and so you might want to say, oh, this is a production database. To access a production database, it has to be during working hours. It has to be on a corporate laptop. You have to authenticate with your hardware token and, um, and from an IP that I recognize or from an IP that is in your normal area of operation.
0: Hmm. And, and again, as you say, it's not that much different because, in fact, what's happening is is a subtle difference. We are building policies on the back end of whatever the resources we're accessing on the fly. So it's not just you know credentials being created dynamically; it's also policy being created dynamically. That's the that's the subtle distinction here. So from an ops perspective, if I'm managing the strong DM platform, it doesn't really feel that much different to me now is this a is this a feature box i'm checking or something to enable this functionality
1: no this is um it is more uh a series of practices and things you're setting up so you've you've configured your vault you've configured how you want resources to access credentials from that vault you've configured uh your uh SSO integration and your, um, device posture management for that integration hmm. you've configured within strong DM. What are your rules for approving this access under what conditions should it be granted? How, what's the grant period? All of those sorts of things.
0: So what you're highlighting is a security model that I am enabled to build on the strong DM platform. Correct. Uh, okay. Okay. So it doesn't feel, well, does it feel any different from the user perspective? If I'm the 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 person who's trying to authenticate, does, there's a strong DM client, as I recall, and I'm yes. leveraging that to access my my resource. Is it, do I see or feel any different?
1: No, you don't feel any different. You're going to go, um, you go, you make your access request. Once it's approved and granted, that pops up in the StrongDM client and it says, here, you have access to the next three hours. Hmm. You go, you access it. When you're done, you go back, you can relinquish access, and it's immediately revoked.
2: Right, right. And it, you don't have to refresh a credential with cache or anything that you have stored locally because you're not getting the credentials. You're using the client, and it's proxying that connection for you and injecting the credentials somewhere along that path. Uh, so it, it fits um, It fits into the end user workflow just like everything
1: else. There's no, there's no change other than making the request.
2: Gotcha.
0: Oh, it's the client that makes this credential injection magic happen somehow or another, isn't it? Or, or that facilitates it. Because that—that's been that's a detail that's been bugging me since you mentioned in the beginning. Yeah, we inject it uh-huh. like it's the easiest thing in the world. It's like, well, how the heck do you do that? Well, if the client... Yeah, actually, just walk us through that, grid, ha- how that happens now that we've been reminded that there's a client component. Walk us through the steps along the way and how that uh, credential injection component happens.
1: It it is the client that really makes the magic happen there, um, and it is so. The client presents uh, presents a port on your local machine that you can speak to, that will speak the language of whatever the end service you're talking to is. It's Postgres, it speaks the Postgres protocol, HTTP, SSH, whatever. Right. So you talk to that, and the great thing about it is you can give it no credentials. You can give it whatever you want. It will always say yes. And that traffic is then forwarded along the StrongDM software-defined network, uh, goes through uh, an encrypted tunnel to the end destination. And at that point, the last mile node in the StrongDM network is deconstructing that traffic and modifying it to inject the credential.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, the the last mile, you mean the StrongDM box that's effectively proxying my connectivity to the resource I'm trying to manage?
1: Yes. So depending on your network topology, you may have to go through several hops, mm-hmm. but you connect into the StrongDM network. And from your point of view as an end user, it's like a wormhole, right? You don't see any inter- <laughs> intervening network. Uh, if you're an IT team, you don't have to worry about the intervening network. It's all layer seven, it sits on top of the uh, actual IP networking. Um, but then that traffic is delivered to a node that sits very close to whatever target you're trying to access. And that's the node that is both going to uh, do credential injection as well as session recording. Because
0: now we're at the place close to the resource we're trying to manage where, okay, we need to hand off credentials to the thing that's going to actually say, okay, you can come in the door. How are we doing that? It doesn't have any idea that there's all this strong DM back there. It it cares about whatever the credentials are that you're presenting to it in the protocol and manner in which it expects it.
1: That's correct. And okay. so that, that thing is going to talk, speak directly to your vault, get the credential inject it into the authentication headers, just like it, or handshake, just like it normally would. And then you're off. And depending on how you've set that up, that connection itself is also encrypted, right? Because you were, you've configured your database to use TLS. And so the strong DM node in the database are, are speaking TLS inside your network
0: hmm Uh, another detail you could clarify for me about the architecture you're talking about uh, a wormhole and uh the strong dm software defined network and it sounds like what's happening here i thought i was i had like a strong dm server that was running on prem in one of my data centers or up in aws or something like that and from what you're describing it sounds more like is there some central strong dm uh mesh of servers that i'm that you guys are providing for me
1: no, so that's uh, another place where actually we 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 made a conscious decision both so that customers can control their own data and for security reasons there is a centralized brain to StrongDM that we run, but the actual data connection is entirely run by you, and so you have nodes that can be easily deployed within your account that provide connectivity into your infrastructure, and so we're uh we're actually never handling your traffic Um, so
0: sas nodes that i'm spinning up on demand uh you know uh, supplied by you or i'm like standing up a container or a vm or something
1: a container uh, a vm whatever however you want to run it but yes you're you're standing up an instance got it um and we've uh built those to be as easy as possible to deploy you just turn them on um you make sure that you have uh nodes that can talk to all the target resources that you want to talk to and then some that can uh accept traffic from the outside world and they will discover the interconnections between them and routing and also provide HA and failover
2: okay so speaking of failover and hmm. and potential failure modes is there like a break glass uh Sort of situation like I've lost access through strong DM or I've lost access to this this uh, zero standing privileges provisioning process, but I really need to get into the thing. How how would I as an ops person go around setting up that break glass in case of emergency scenario?
1: You've always got that problem, and um, the best way to solve it generally is to deploy a. Uh, a break glass, either VPN or some other or zero trust networking solution mm. um, that you can turn on should StrongDM, should you lose access through StrongDM? It's very similar to what do you do if Okta goes down, right. <laughs> right? You need you need another credential to get into that machine and maybe you only need one and then you keep it in a nice vault that, that no one can get to, but uh, you do need some other way.
2: It reminds me of, this This is something that happened with Azure Active Directory, is not Azure Active Directory, but the MFA component of Azure AD went down for Mm. a few hours. And so people whose tokens were up were trying to authenticate to Office 365 and they couldn't, and that included administrators. (laughs) <laughs> they couldn't even get in to turn off MFA for their users so that, that their users could keep getting their work done. And if you didn't have that one account that was set up to not use MFA and was an admin or whatever, you were just kind of in the water until <laughs> MFA services were restored. So like I always think of that scenario when I'm like, I need a break glass uh, yeah, setup yeah. just in case that sort of thing happens.
1: So we there there are really two break glass scenarios we think about. Um, so there's one is strong v m network goes down, right either there's a you know major internet outage uh somebody cuts cuts the fiber to all of the uh regions that we're running in, and the the strong DM control plane goes down, the brains of the system goes down. that's gonna be one where you have to deploy a secondary networking technology to get in the infrastructure, but then there's the other one which is your SSO goes down or a particular node goes down. And there we do provide uh, break glass administrator accounts. So you can you can configure alternative uh authentication mechanisms so that you can get in and
2: rewire things. Gotcha. And of course obviously all of that would be heavily audited and you'd want to yes watching the whole time but i mean well, th- th-
0: this goes back to our earlier discussion about points of interest for attackers as you deploy an infrastructure like this the back door the break class in case of that could be something that they're going to assume might be there and see if they can figure out what it is and start poking at it
1: it is and and it, it's really the 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 protection there is the discipline of not using that as your daily drive of keeping that, you know, not on your machine, keeping those credentials not on your machine in a vault. Like we have, we've had customers who have, um, they have certificate authentication infrastructures that we integrate into. And so we need one of their certs to authenticate uh, there. And so in order to get that cert issued, uh, they have a literal physical safe that you have to go in, you pull the flash drive out of the safe, you get the key, you generate the cert that descends from this key, and then you put it back in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and now, uh, a digital equivalent of that procedure is what you need.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, if I'm an auditor and I'm interacting in a in a zero standing privileges environment, I might get a little flustered, a little frustrated because I'm seeing all of these accounts get generated and deleted and You know, I need to link those back to actual people making requests. So if I'm an auditor, what am I seeing in the logging? And how can I sort of piece this morass together into something that makes sense to me?
1: So that is, uh, that's another place where StrongDM helps. Uh, So, you know, often you talk about like the three A's, uh, authentication, authorization, and accounting. Mm -hmm. Um, In the modern world, it's really four. You need auditing there too. you need you need to know what everyone's done. So not only is everything you do within strongDM everything you do to strong DM as an administrator and everything you do within strong DM as a user is audited, but that is all um, tied together and is is you can easily produce that evidence for auditors. so you can say, this is our one source of truth. Mm. This is our one source of truth. I can look up every session that Ned ran on Tuesday. I can look up every session that was run against the production database uh, between 137 and 245 during the period of the incident.
2: So there's different ways you can slice and dice it depending on what you're looking
1: for. And we also provide um, fairly simple ways to export that data into your SIEM system because that's generally going to be the locus of um where you're performing a lot of that interrogation because it's yeah. you know while stronium is providing who um who when and what they did um there's also just tons of other systems that you're using in your security stack right you've got you've got the actual host security reporting you've got you know log, logs directly from the target machine that you may want to also join into that data set
2: Okay. So once it exports to the SIM, it, it still keeps all those linkages between yes. who requested, what they requested against, and that kind of stuff. So you yes. can get that all back together. Beth. Okay. Very cool.
0: And with that question of auditing out of the way, Brad, I think uh, that's probably a good place to stop, man. That's a good place to stop. So if people want to find out more about, about StrongDM, about zero standing privilege, where should they go?
1: StrongDM.com slash packet pushers. All one word. Is the awesome. best place Strong to
0: go. StrongDM.com slash packet pushers, and the resources will be there for you. StrongDM also has a blog. It's tech nerdy engineering kind of stuff. They're on Twitter at StrongDM. And if you wanted to hear the earlier shows about Strong DM in this series, Day 2 Cloud episodes 134 and 152 are where you want to go. And virtual high fives to you, you awesome human, for listening to the end of this sponsored episode. If you do ring up Strong DM to do an eval, make sure to let them know that you heard about them on Day 2 Cloud, which is part of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear those. You can hit Ned and I up on Twitter. We both monitor at day2cloudshow or fill out the request form on day2cloud.io. And if you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, and I know you do, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. Nerdy content designed for your professional career development. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.